This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Well, it is time now for Science with Simi. And today we are talking about space and black holes and exploration, all very cool stuff. There has been some remarkable news on this topic this week. Uh, Jason Tetro is with us to talk more about it, host of the Super Awesome Science Show podcast and author of The Germ Code. Hi, Jason. Hello. So there's big news in the world of space exploration yesterday. We saw, I'm sure you saw those pictures, right? The international scientific team and the first ever photos of a black hole. So we had a chance to speak with Avery Broderick, who's the associate professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at the University of Waterloo. And he explained to us how Canadians contributed to this project. Uh, well, so, so it's the University of Water, Waterloo and the Perimeter Institute have both been involved uh, for many years now. And, and we participate really in the science utilization and, and uh, simulation, trying to understand what it is that we see in these first images. And that, require, that requires many people working, working with supercomputers, making the, you know, producing the most advanced simulations of uh, black holes that, that we can, you know, that we can uh, uh, produce these days. Now, Jason, was that not amazing? Did you see that picture? Oh, I absolutely love the picture. And for those Instagram people out there, yes, it's blurry because it's a composite image. But <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, if you go to the original papers that are published, uh, you actually see very, very sharp images. It's just that they had so many different telescopes that were actually doing this imagery. And then the amount of data that they had, they couldn't even transfer it over the internet. They actually had to put it onto planes and fly them to the one spot. So, are you kidding? I mean... Yeah, it's just incredible. I think it was petabytes worth of information in order to make that one image. So if it's a little blurry, yeah, if you want really, really high def and stuff, go talk to Kim. (laughs) What was amazing about this was how excited scientists got about this, right? Because you don't often see that kind of excitement in the scientific community, but there was such a huge buzz about this one. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a microbiologist, immunologist. Even I'm like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Because... First off, the, the idea that something that we predicted to be round back in the 1800s is actually round, <laughs> it's, just, yeah. it's like, wow. And then when you start looking at how uh, the, the image is formed and what is actually in the image, you start to realize that all these decades and centuries of physics and, and understanding how the universe works is true. And, and when you think about it from that perspective, you're going, wow, so this opens the door for us to be able to take all of these theories, put them into application, and start taking us into completely new directions. Yeah, so fascinating. I know. And there's more to come on that topic for sure. And another hot topic that I was reading about this week has to do with superbugs. And you're, you're going to be covering this week, right, on the Super Awesome Science Show? Well, what we're doing is we're actually talking about one of the issues regarding superbugs, and that is how to diagnose them. You see, one of the big problems that we have is people go into the doctor's office and they'll ask for a prescription for antibiotics. Mm -hmm. But do we really know whether or not that bug that's causing a problem is, is something that can be treated with antibiotics? Heck, do we even know if it's a bug to begin with? And so what we've done is we've taken a closer look at diagnostics with a number of different people who are specialists in this area. Now, I have to admit, it's one of my favorite areas simply because that's what I used to do when I was doing full-time research. So for me, diagnosis is just so amazing. 
And so I had to reach out to the one person who really has made diagnosis sort of a public word, and, and her name is Dr. Lisa Sanders. She's a, a clinical educator over at Yale, but you probably know her best as being the inspiration behind Hugh Laurie's character, House. Really? Yeah. She has a, a, a column in the New York Times talking about all these very strange and weird uh, different types of diagnosis, almost like Sherlock I know that, Holmes. I know that column. I read that column yeah. all the time. And that is the person we're talking with. And she is amazing. I, we, we get into how um, the, the, the show House developed, how she came up with this, and also about some of her new projects, which are going to even take us further into our love for diagnostics. Okay. Now, yep. Yeah. Uh, and, and then the thing is, is while this may be all fascinating and everything, diagnosis really still is a problem. Now, when we talk about antibiotic resistance, do you realize that like upwards of 80% of all uh, antibiotics prescribed, like in Africa, uh, are, are unneeded? Yeah. And that, that's, that's because they just don't have the proper diagnosis. Uh, same thing with Ebola. If we had proper diagnostics, we might have been able to save thousands of those 11,000 lives that were lost. So the World Health Organization has actually put together a list for all countries to have diagnostic tests. And one of the people who was involved in making this was Madic, uh, Dr. Madika Pai uh, out of McGill. And so we actually talked to him about that process and why it's so important for us to have diagnostics in every part of the world. It, it, it's, it's that's so interesting. How much. And, and yeah. every, every once in a while, we also hear about something that's trying to kill us too, right? That's the thing. Like these new diseases crop up, and we don't have a way to figure out what they are. Well, exactly. And one of the big ones happens to be something called Candida Candida auris. Uh, it was also just recently featured in the New York Times. I've been writing about it for a little while now. Um, it's spreading around the globe, and the hardest part about it is that it's so difficult for us to be able to identify it. And people who are in the laboratory are working constantly in order to be able to make sure that the diagnosis is correct. Now, here in Canada, we have a group called Medical Laboratory Professionals, and they're the ones who are working behind the scenes in order for this to work. But I'm not sure if you've heard of them or not. Hmm, no, I don't think I have. There's a whole group of people who work on this? Yeah, exactly. They work in the laboratory and they do this. And we talk with one of them. Uh, her name is Krista Urchenko. Let me explain how she sees it. I, I always like to say we're the mysterious box where samples kind of go in and results come out. And most people only know of the labs if something goes wrong. <laughs> Unfortunately, usually, you're, oh, but the lab lost my sample, the lab this, the lab that. So I think that's where the disconnect is. We're usually, you know, I don't want to say we're always in the basement. I think that gets us a bad rap. But, <laughs> um, you know, we're usually off to the side. We're not on, uh, right um, in the patient's face. I think it would be quite a bit different if, you know, you had a technologist sitting in the room right next to a patient and running all of the testing that uh, the, the doctor or nurse has requested. So I think a lot of people don't, don't think about it and don't know about it. That is so interesting, Jason, because essentially what you've got is two groups of people. Like if I go to the hospital with something wrong with me and nobody can figure it out at the hospital, there's people who are behind the scenes who I'll probably never meet who are actually going to be the people who diagnose it. Yep, and that's exactly it. And, uh, you know, I've known medical laboratory professionals pretty much my entire career. And one of the things that I find so fascinating about them is that they tend to know us better than we know ourselves when it comes to our insides. And when they do that, it gives us an opportunity to understand how those 37 trillion cells that make up who we are can sometimes 
maybe go a little wrong and how we can figure out how to make it right. Okay, so laboratory professionals like that, they must get really frustrated by average Joes like me who every once in a while take to Dr. Google to figure out what the problem is. You know, it would be so interesting if that was the case, but we're learning more and more that doctors and other types of professionals are really looking forward to having a conversation. And for the longest time, having that initial moment where you start to talk has been very difficult. You know, it's just been, tell me about your symptoms. But now with the Dr. Google, people are coming in and offering suggestions as to what might be going on. And as a result of that, it's beginning to create conversations. So while I'm still not a fan of the whole Dr. Google, it's giving people the opportunity to go in with a little bit of confidence that maybe they can also be involved in getting to the answer and then solving it. Oh, that makes perfect sense. And so you're going in and you're saying, I think I have this. And even if the doctor is saying, well, I don't think you have that, at least you're starting the conversation. Oh, absolutely. And let me tell you something. When you hear what Lisa Sanders has to say about that, you are never going to look at Dr. Google Google the same again. That was a great way to promote the podcast, Jason, right there. So make sure that you (laughs) listen to the super awesome science show podcast on Curious Cast. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Have a great one.